this text, and we're turning this week to John 14, verses 15 through 31. If you recall last week, the text, uh, in the text, Jesus made two astounding promises to us. There he promised that we as his people would in him do greater works than he has done, and Secondly, he promised us uh, that he would work through our prayers. Now, both of those two promises, uh, well, those two promises together had two underlying assumptions. Assumptions that that he's going to unpack for us more clearly today. The first assumption is that there must be a power source behind our works. And the second assumption is, behind his promises last week is that there must be, a, on our part, a transforming obedience to the will of Jesus Christ. He didn't stop last week. He continues this week, and we look there together. I'm going to ask you to turn with me to verses 15 through 31. This is the inerrant and infallible word of God. If you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more, but you will see me. Because I live, you also will live. And that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the words, whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. This is the word of the Lord. 
Would you bow with me? Father, this is your word. It's your promise. Promise of your presence. Promise of help. And I pray that that you would plant these words deep in our heart, that we might not merely hear them, but that we would be transformed by them. That we would know that our place with you is, is in Christ. And is enabled by your Spirit. Shape us, transform us by that life, life-giving truth. Do this we ask. In Christ's name, amen. ask you a question. Do you love Jesus? Do you love Jesus? I know as I ask that question, some of us may hear it and, and say, don't get ahead of yourself, Pastor. You're getting a little personal there. I also know that when I ask that question, it hits all of us in different ways. Some of us are here exploring Jesus, trying to figure out what we think about these claims of Scripture, trying to think what is the church. We're wondering uh, about Christianity, and so for me to ask, do you love Jesus, you're thinking to yourself, I'm not ready to answer that question yet. Some of us hear the question and, and want to answer, I think so. Maybe there's a question mark on the end of that, I think so. Some are thinking, you know, I, I haven't really thought in those terms about loving Jesus. This is actually, Jesus makes a turn from talking about loving others to loving Him. thought about that. I, I remember a dear, uh, a dear brother of mine named Brad. He's a friend of mine in North Carolina. Brad feels deeply. And I can remember sitting across a table from from my brother Brad and and almost in tears he would look at me and just say, I love Jesus. And when Brad would talk about loving Jesus, he usually talked about loving Jesus in the context of wrestling with some truth. And he would be wondering about what that love that he felt for Jesus meant in terms of the way he would respond to some situation that was before him in his life. He he wondered about the implications of that love on some decision. And, And I recall hearing him and wrestling with him and thinking that there is a beauty both in his wrestling and in the order of his wrestling. It spoke to me. Then, and it speaks to me now, but I also, if I'm honest with you, remember being caught off guard by his words. My friend talked about loving Jesus, and I remember wanting to share that sentiment. And yet, I don't know that at the time, if I was honest, I could say that. I was coming out of a definition or an understanding of Christianity that was, that was revolving around external moralism. Sort of what I do defines who I am. 
Obedience was the, was the description of what I do. I was merely doing my duty. I, I viewed the Christian life in terms of that duty rather than an overflow of who I am in Christ. And so with that background, I wouldn't have denied that I loved Jesus. I wouldn't have defined my relationship in those terms. Does that resonate with anyone here this morning? I'll start here because I'm trying to draw something out for us. I, I don't know if you're reading this text along with, uh, with me in your Bible, but in my Bible, the top heading before this text says, Jesus promises the Holy Spirit. There's, there's this promise of the gift of the Holy Spirit, and yet we jump right out of the gates, not with the promise of the Holy Spirit, but if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's a theme, actually, that's repeated three times in this text. Love and obedience. And there is a fourth time, and in that fourth time, it's not speaking about our love and obedience, but Jesus' love and obedience. And so, do you wonder, as you see that heading, and then you hear that refrain throughout this text, is there a bait and switch going on? There's some promise being made here, but oh, by the way... Love and obey. Some of us hear all of that talk of obedience and our antennas go up. Because we start thinking about cause and effect. Now some of us wrestle with cause and effect because quite frankly we just want to know what to do. What's the expectation? Let me know so that I can fulfill that expectation. Then I know that if I'm doing what you ask of me, I'll receive, the lo- I'll receive love. I'll receive acceptance. That's why some of us wrestle with cause and effect. We, we actually like cause and effect. And yet there are others of us who, who start to wrestle with cause and effect because anything that sniffs of expectation is going to send us reeling. Oh, you expect me to obey? I know I'm going to fail you there, so I'm just out of here. Some of us run from this cause and effect. Some of us run away from expectation. And because I don't know where you are on that spectrum. But I will remind you what we learned last week. That union in Christ is the antidote. Union in Christ is the antidote to both extremes because union in Christ tells us that I am in Christ and Christ is in me. You remember the mantra that we repeated last week, me in Christ, Christ in me. His righteousness is my righteousness. Me in Christ, Christ in me, His power is my power. And Jesus says here that because that is true, these things are also true. You love. You obey. You have the Spirit. That's where He's going. It's tempting for us to read those three repeats in verses 15 and 16, in verse 21, and verse 23 as conditional. 
It's easy for us to look there and say, if I obey, then I will be loved and I will receive the gift of the Spirit. But maybe, maybe that tells us more about us than about Jesus' promises. Jesus is not speaking about preconditions for his love in this text. He's talking about the essential relationship that exists between love and obedience and the presence of the Spirit. There is a theme repeated here. And that theme is this, true love manifests itself in willing obedience. So Jesus speaks about that linkage between love and obedience to such an intense degree that one writer described it as approaching the level of definition. In other words, our love is defined by our, our obedience and our obedience is defined by our love. So what is obedience? Is obedience our external... Um, action related to the Ten Commandments? Is our external obedience to the Ten Commandments as if any of us were capable of such obedience? Jesus turned our understanding of those Ten Commandments on its head when in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew, He said, if you have ever been angry with your brother, then you have committed murder. If you have ever lusted after another, then you have committed adultery. None are righteous. No, not one. And in our honest moments, we know that. But the Pharisees tried. They tried to build a system of of religion around external obedience to the Ten Commandments, plus the ceremonial law, plus their own additions to both. And Jesus called them whitewashed tombs because there was was a gap. There was a divide between the external obedience that they sought and the true affections of their heart. Teeth clenched external obedience is not obedience because true obedience requires a unity of action and heart. True obedience is conformity to Christ. True obedience is born out of a heart shaped by the holiness of God and a life that displays its fruit. And so Jesus reminds us three times, if you love, you will obey. (laughs) That's a love that feels sort of out of reach, doesn't it? (laughs) Well, praise the Lord. That this description of love comes with a promise. Promise of the helper. Anybody at this point thankful (laughs) that Jesus offers help? Amen. I learned something. Back in my days in business with my father-in-law about help. It's one of many lessons that he taught me there were a lot of things in our business that we did well, but there were some areas in business where we needed 
help. There were areas in business where we needed a professional. Time to time we needed accountants, we needed engineers, we needed attorneys. And one of the lessons that my father-in-law always taught me is that when you need help, you hire the best professional that you can find, and then you listen to them. (laughs) Jesus is promising the best help. The best professional. He describes him as as another helper. Let me acknowledge something as we think about that. There's there's two words for another. There's one form of another that that describes another of a different kind. So, for example, in, in Galatians, Paul is railing against the Galatian church for turning after another gospel. To which he says there is not another gospel. But that's another of a different kind. And yet there's a second form of the word another. It's another of the same kind. That is the word that Jesus is using here. He's promising a helper of the same kind. Which which emphasizes that there is a first helper. And Jesus is the first helper. The second Of the same kind, the Holy Spirit. The paraclete, word in Greek, it it means to one who comes alongside to counsel, to advocate, to to help. Now, in a couple of chapters in in John 16, we're going to get into some more specific roles that that the the helper, the Holy Spirit, has come to, to fulfill. So, He gives us a portion of that here in John 14, another portion in John 16. But here in in chapter 14, there are some specific examples of what the helper has come to do. Verse 26 tells us that the helper has come to bring to your remembrance all that I have said. Excuse me. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said. So first we see that the helper comes to teach. I know we've got some note takers. If you're a note taker here, write down this passage. Ezekiel 36 verse 27. Ezekiel 36 27 is God's promise in the Old Testament that is lockstep with the promise that Jesus makes here. It's it's the promise of the Holy Spirit. And, And there in Ezekiel 36 27, the word tells us what it is that the Holy Spirit is teaching us. Ezekiel 36, 27 says, And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The Holy Spirit is teacher, coach, guide, and power source. All all in one. This teacher is not one that we have to make an appointment with. This teacher dwells in us. He dwells in us, teaching us the commandments, coaching us in what it means to obey them, guiding us through life in this obedience and serving as the very power source that causes our obedience. This promise 
Jesus makes that reiterates the promise of God in Ezekiel 36 is a beautiful promise of the best professional we could ask for. The promised spirit teaches us. The promised spirit also brings to remembrance. As you hear that promise here in John 14, 26, I, I want you to think on one hand he's bringing to remembrance for us here in this room, but in a special way he's bringing to remembrance for those apostles in that room. There is in, in this phrase a, a very helpful um, primer for us on the inspiration of Scripture. You realize that, that the Apostle John is writing this gospel account. And have you ever wondered to yourself how he remembered all of these conversations with Jesus? How he remembered all of these actions? It's not because he was gifted with a great natural memory. It's because he was gifted with supernatural memory. The Holy Spirit has brought to remembrance for the Apostle John all that he is writing here. It is teaching us about the inspiration of Scripture. The inspiration that would come to John. The inspiration that would come to Peter. The inspiration that would come through the, uh, the recording of all of the Gospel accounts and most of the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is bringing to remembrance and thereby bringing to remembrance for us through their word. But the Holy Spirit also has come, as we see in verse 27, to bring peace. This peace that the Helper brings is, is shalom. Shalom doesn't merely mean the absence of conflict. It doesn't mean merely that the, the Holy Spirit is here to settle our, our interpersonal disputes. No, shalom refers to the positive flourishing that comes through the presence of the Lord. Do you, do you have one of those friends, like my friend Brad? Do you have one of those friends that they can comfort you simply by their presence? Sometimes later, my relationship with my friend Brad in North Carolina, when when I was hurting so badly I could barely move. My heart hurt. He would come and sit and be with. There's a friend that comes and brings peace merely by their presence. When all the world seems to be falling apart, they don't have to speak. They just show up. That presence, that peace doesn't merely come in the midst of trials. There are some friends that we have that we just never tire of. <laughs> that we never need a break from. Their presence is, is life-giving. <laughs> it's the promise of peace that we have through the promise of the Holy Spirit who doesn't come in and out of our lives, but the Holy Spirit, who is a permanent indwelling presence. The world can't offer this peace. The peace that the world offers is a peace built on consumption. Buy more of this, consume more of this, and then you will be happy. But we know that that is 
a peace that, that falters, that fails, that lets us down. It leaves us wanting. The world takes peace, but Jesus brings peace through the promised Holy Spirit. And in this promise, you need to see in this text that there is a triune unity. Verse 17, Jesus says, He will be in you. Verse 20, Jesus says, I will be in you. In verse 23, the Father and the Son will make their home in you. This is a promise of triune unity made good through the Holy Spirit. And so we've been hearing in this chapter, this conversation, we've sort of been invited in. And, and Thomas butted in and asked the question that we all wanted to ask. Then Philip asked the question that we all wanted to ask. And now Judas asks it. Judas, not Iscariot. And he essentially asked Jesus, how? How are you going to make good on that promise to, to us and not to the world? But in Jesus' response, he doesn't so much answer the question, how? He answers it, how, in terms of the indwelling. But his focus is not as much on how, but on who. If the Holy Spirit is the helper, who are the helped? Jesus says the helped are those who love and obey. Now I recognize that when I say that, for many of us, it causes us to go back to the cause and effect. Because Jesus saying that if we love and obey, then he will give us the Holy Spirit? Well, that can't be. Because we've already said what we already know to be true. None of us are righteous. None of us obey the law. None of us keep the commandments. So this can't be a discussion about causality. It cannot be Jesus saying, if you love and obey perfectly, then I'll give you the helper. No. He's speaking of love and obedience as a distinguishing mark of the believer. It's a distinguishing mark of the Christian, but earlier in John's gospel account, and very clearly in chapter 6, verse 44, we read Jesus' words, No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. In other words, God is the first mover. God is the initiator. The gift comes before the obedience. God initiates relationship in us by initiating the faith that is used as the receiving instrument of God's grace poured out on us through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Faith is a gift. And by that faith, we receive the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work, His accomplished salvation for us. We'll see this more clearly in chapter 16. But the Holy Spirit is the applier of salvation. I'm not talking causality 
here. Jesus is telling us when he speaks of love and obedience that the gift of the Holy Spirit is for believers. And by this understanding of believers, we, we come to see that believers are those who are the elect. Those who from before the beginning of time have been chosen by God's wisdom and by God's grace to be recipients of His love. Not because it was deserved. Because God chose. This gift of the Spirit is for the beloved. The Holy Spirit is not coming for all. The Holy Spirit is coming for believers, because as Jesus makes clear, the world can neither hear or keep these words. Jesus is not saying how, but who. And to the beloved, Jesus says, I will not leave you alone. That might be the sweetest promise that we have in this text. I want you to think about it this way. We've already said this this, this, this call to, to love and obedience is a call that runs throughout this text. And, and on one hand, it is a defining, distinguishing mark of the beloved is who we are. But in it, there is also a call to obedience. And so I ask you, when is it difficult for you to obey? If you think about it, if you think about the contours of your life, when is it in your life that you find obedience most challenging, most difficult? If we ask ourselves that question, we'll come up with a lot of answers, but the common denominator for most of us is that obedience is most challenging when I am alone. There's two forms of aloneness that I want us to think about this morning. On one hand, is when I'm lonely. It's when I'm by myself. And understand that you can be by yourself in the largest city. By yourself alone is not necessarily uh, on an island by yourself. It is when you are unconnected relationally. You can be alone in a crowded room. And when we are unconnected relationally, we are separated. We are exposed to temptation because in that moment we've got no one to fight with us or for us. Obedience is challenging when we are alone, when we are separated. But on the other hand, obedience is challenging when we are alone because we are me-focused. Me-focused means that even when I am in relationship, the relationship has to be about me. When I am me-focused, love is not a part of the equation unless it is I'm talking about love for myself. When I'm me-focused, I blame others. 
When I'm me-focused, I'm living in a self-imposed aloneness and I'm ripe for temptation because I justify it as being best for me. Friends, me-focused aloneness actively fuels disobedience. If you find yourself in that state, and though by the way, it's hard to find ourselves in that state, we have to actually hear it from others. But if you are in that state of me-focused aloneness, the, the answer is to stop intentionally pursuing self. If you find yourself in in lonely aloneness that is disconnection from relationship, that aloneness passively leads to disobedience. If you find yourself in that state, you must intentionally move toward the body. Allow yourself to be known by another, as scary as that may be, and know others move towards the body move towards union in christ but for both those who are alone because of their me focused nature or because they have for whatever reason been separated from the body the promise of jesus is this i will come we talked about the repeat of of love and obedience. But did you hear how many wills there are in this passage? Did you hear how many times there was the promise of, I will, I will ask, I will come. There are a lot of wills, and those wills all represent promises. Those promises are kept in Jesus. We see that clearly because even though you and I struggle with obedience, the passage points us to Jesus' perfect obedience. The fourth discussion about love and obedience is not ours. The fourth discussion in this text about love and obedience is found in verse 31. There Jesus says, I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Said earlier that true love manifests itself in willing obedience. Jesus' obedience was not forced. Satan had no authority over Jesus. Satan had no claim over Jesus. When Jesus speaks here of obedience, he's speaking of his movement towards the cross, his willing movement to the cross, what we call now his passive obedience because he went to the cross to take on a punishment that was not his willingly went for you and I he didn't go to the cross to secure the love of his father he always had it he was living out of the father's love that he might secure our redemption In the beginning we talked about loving Jesus, but Jesus obeyed the Father because He loved His Father and because the triune God loves you. Rather than leaving us as orphans, Jesus came to redeem us. 
us, that we might receive adoption as sons. And as you heard earlier in the assurance of grace, because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father, you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Beloved, Jesus has made good on his promise He hasn't left us as orphans. He has secured our place with the Father and He has sent the Helper. So trusting in His perfect righteousness and in His powerful presence through the Spirit, let us embrace this Christian life. Let us pursue lives of Christ-exalting obedience, living out of His love. And in doing so, let us glorify and enjoy our Savior. Father, I pray that You would give us hearts to know the great love with which You have loved us and that You would stir in us a love that is unshakable, that we might live obedient lives out of who You've declared us to be. Do this, we pray. In Christ's name.